The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. happening welcome to another mock draft podcast my name is nick pollock uh today joining me is one of the co-hosts of wins above fantasy you know him from the podcast network this is steve just steve how you doing good man thanks for having me on excited to uh break down this mock draft it was a lot of fun doing it honored to be a part of it and ready to get after it oh man i uh, so first of all i i'm pretty sure i got that last name right you didn't say anything uh- no, that was that was good. And yes. I've heard I've heard a, a million different things, you know, <laughs> going through high school, uh, you know, elementary school, high school. Uh, I don't think any teacher ever got it right. So um, this is to, to get it. it it's yeah, it, it's rare. It's very rare. And especially for me. Um, so, uh, no, it's great having you on. You're wearing your XW Will Bacon um, with oh, a pancake yeah. and egg and bacon shirt. If you don't know what that is, go to pitchos.com slash store. We're actually going to make a new store soon. And you should see it in November. Really excited about that. But get your shirt today. You got the right one. Justin also made an ex-Wobacon, as in like Comic-Con. It's not right. It's Expo Bacon. Well, That's bacon. the correct yes. one. Yes. Uh, but aside from that, Steve, so can people can you tell people you know, more about your podcast and where they can find you on Twitter? Yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Stav eight eight one eight. That's S T A V eight eight one eight. And for Wins Above Fantasy, uh, it's myself and my co-host Van Vernet. Um, we've been uh, almost uh, coming up on, uh, I guess, uh, close to a year now. Uh, it'll be like a year in February. So we've been doing it uh, once a week uh, in the off season. You'll find us every other Monday on that main uh, pitcher list channel. So uh, that's really exciting for us. And, you know, we're really just like a general fantasy baseball podcast. Um, we try to, you know, give a mix of, advanced analytics and and and, and saber metrics and also have a feel for you know just some more standard okay this guy's on a hot streak sort of thing like yeah, here's here's where we should keep an eye on it then more traditional analysis things like that um and it, it's been a lot of fun uh we we've been breaking down uh a lot of stuff. We did some cool things in the off season last year where we did like a, a TLDR where we were breaking down interesting stats 
or uh, articles that we're definitely going to bring back in the off season once things slow down. Um, nice. Uh, and put that into like a, a podcast form, which was, which was a lot of fun. We were planning to have some more guests on to, to feature their work and things like that. So uh, looking forward to that. And, you know, uh, I, I, I was talking with Van on our last episode, like the, the, the preseason and off season for baseball is, is, is probably some of my favorite, favorite times, even though, you know, I, I usually get the press once the games are over, but you could really get into the analysis and, and break down uh, a lot of things and, and apply that to, you know, auction and draft season, which I'm really excited for. There's certainly in season a feeling of fleeting opinions, mm-hmm. right? It, go, it goes by like the wind almost. And uh, in the off season, they really get to uh, car- caramelize, you know, mm-hmm. uh, really sit and develop. Uh, so it is a lot more fun as you become stronger and stronger about your feelings about guys and, then you just can't wait to see how it all plays out. But yeah, we'll be doing this, of course, through the offseason. Definitely check check, check out uh, Wins Above Fantasy on the Pitchless Podcast Network and, of course, individually on their own feed. But we got a mock draft to talk about, Steve. So 23 oh, yeah. picks. I don't know if you guys all listened to Chad Young's that went out on uh, Wednesday. But uh, we have another one here. This is on Sunday. And you had the second pick in this draft. For those unfamiliar, you can check out the draft board in the description of this podcast. Whether it's 12-teamer, 23 rounds, three outfield, two utility. Uh, we have two different Otanis, very important, standard 5x5, five five, Yahoo positional eligibility. So that means five starts or 10 games played at any position. So it offers a lot of opportunity for players, a lot of uh, chances to chase upside as well. And you decided to go with the second spot. Was this uh, going to the draft where you're thinking, I want number two, or is it... It just fell to me, and sure, I guess I'll take number two. Um, I was one of the first people to, I think, sign up for a spot, so I had a decent choice. I, I think only like the the sixth or the seventh pick w- w- was w- slot w- was taken. So um, I, I wanted something in the top five. I think that that's a, a good place to be. Um, I think you know uh, probably from from learning from this, I would probably bump down a few picks just because you know in a snake draft get an earlier pick in the second round because I think there's a, a, a decent fall off between like the, the first four or five players uh, mm-hmm. in the draft uh, considering health, uh, which is obviously a big part of what we'll talk about with my, my first pick, but uh, I, I didn't really want to make a decision on who to take first. And I liked a lot of players at two. So I kind of just slotted in there and, and thought that, okay, you know, I, I like building my team around the turn. Uh, I'll get a, a, an elite player here uh, with the first pick and, and, and go from there. Yeah, you certainly do take some risks with health. And your first three picks have that in mm-hmm. mind. Uh, so the, the person you took after Vlad Jr. went one-to-one to your co-host, Van Brennan. I do wonder if there was some uh, I, there. Yeah, I think Van slid in that spot and uh, knew it would be uh, a good content. And, uh, and there were some points where, like... I know who Van's going to take at this turn. And like there's players, like I wish I was texting him before or writing him down with like a timestamp to, to say, okay, oh, I that's knew who you were taking here. Absolutely. Um, of course, Van Burnett is your co-host on Winds of a Fantasy. And so he took Vlad Guerrero Jr. You, t- you stuck with the junior theme mm-hmm. and took Ronald Acuna Jr., who obviously missed a ton of this season with injury. We do expect him to be back fully healthy next year. Why did you lean Acuna Jr. versus, say, Tatis or Turner? <sighs> So I, I think my debate was actually between Turner, Soto, and Acuna. Um, uh, 
Tatis's shoulder just really, really scares me. Obviously, the news came out that he's not getting surgery uh, after we did this draft and, and well after that that pick was made. Um, but despite the fact that he still had an amazing year and you know uh, put up numbers that you wouldn't blink twice if that was what he put up in a full 162-game season, but I'm scared if he does get that surgery eventually. You know, we saw what happened with Cody Bellinger. He just wasn't the same. Or, you know, the fact that he's rehabbing it, it, it could go at, at, at any second. And I don't want to make my pick too much about another player, but had he been fully healthy, I think Tatis is probably a no-brainer first overall, if not second overall pick. But I, I went with Acuna just because I think he'll be back close to the start of the season. Um, I'm assuming that there's an NLDH. So if he's not able to play the outfield, he'll be at DH and ACL injuries aren't that common in baseball. It's actually pretty surprising how few torn ACLs there are. Um, and I was looking at Derek Rhodes's uh, injury tool. Uh, it's he's at uh, just the guy fantasy Jag uh, fantasy sports.com. I think it is. And there's really not that much data for torn Achilles or torn um, ACLs. And most of the guys come back close to, if not the start of the year, if they have it like midseason. Uh, the one that stood out to me was Chipper Jones had uh, ACL, an ACL tear in August of 2009. And then in 2010, he played 129 games as a 39-year-old. So he missed oh, 20 wow. games. Like I, I, I don't think Acuna is going to miss that much time, honestly. Um and I'm making that assumption at this point, obviously, if we get close to like draft season and he's not really participating in spring training, that's obviously going to affect things. But with the information that I have now, I'm comfortable on banking close to 162 games of Acuna at pretty much what he's been doing uh, yeah. over the last it, few it's, years. Uh, it, it's, I think, around February is when baseball activities are expected mm-hmm. or so for of Acuna June, which that's spring trading. Mm-hmm. That should be fine. It was January, February. So even if you push that to March, that still should be fine. And I think people may forget how good Acuna <laughs> was. Uh, it's 82 games. Okay. So that's pretty much half a season. Um, maybe you can say a little bit more because maybe it's 155 or so instead of the 162, whatever. 24 home runs, 72 runs, 52 RBI, and 17 stolen bases. So if you can want to even pull it down from doubling it, that's still 40 home runs, uh, well over 100 runs, 110, do you want to say 115, uh, around 95 RBI and 30 stolen bases, all with the 283 average. That's ridiculously good. Uh, his walk rate, 14%, excellent. He cut his strike zone, strikeout rate to 23.6%, down from around 30% the previous year and 26 before that. He's, he's elite. I mean, Acuna Jr. is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, I would imagine he's healthy next year. Maybe the stolen bases go down because he yes. might run a little bit less with the knee injury. But I think that's really good insight that you mentioned with Chipper Jones. He had 39, getting the surgery a little bit later, and then still coming back for nearly 140 games. That's mm-hmm. that's phenomenal. Acuna should be ready to go and make a massive impact. The The main question I have is something I don't know yet because we're still figuring this out. This entire offseason, really analyzing 12-team drafts, where it really starts from the bottom as you build up. And uh, shortstop was one thing in Chad Young's draft, shortstop and second baseman, that really showcased uh, their depth to me as we went through it. 
because shortstop are a plenty. There are so many to go for in the first seven rounds, while second baseman, not so much. And uh, that might be a reason for me to turn more to Acuna Jr. than, say, Tatis or Turner, because there are other options. There's Bo Bo Bichette later on, but Story and Bogarts and Lindor and Tim Anderson and Corey Seager and Carlos Correa, Wander Franco, Polanco. I just find it so funny that they're Oncos. Uh, Javier Baez and Adalberto Mondesi. And then later on, there's even Adamas and there's Torres. And then there's Anthony Swanson. You can even put Luis Urias there or uh, Marcus Semien. There's just so many you can put it short. So it might make me lean more to Acuna Jr. getting that elite production there where you do have someone else you can sign to short up as opposed to previous seasons. Moving to the second round after that. Uh, Aaron Judge is your pick. Was there someone that you're really targeting and holding out for in the second round? Uh, I, I wanted Devers, uh, and I and I got sniped there. Uh, the pick before, How dare by, they? yeah, Adam Howe. I was, you know, <laughs> uh, I, I was not that I. I was like, all right, I got this pick made out. Like I'll go Devers and then take take another outfielder. So I I didn't like panic. Like I I knew that I liked Judge. I probably would have considered taking him on the turn again at, at three, but. <sighs> I, I think Judge like quietly had everything that we expected from from Judge before you know those injury riddled seasons last year. Like this is what people were hoping for when he was like a back end first round talent after that fifty two home runs in his rookie year, right? Like uh, he was probably going in like the second round after that year, I, I would think. And then injuries have just held him down. <laughs> And I think a theme of my draft, like I, I probably to a fault aim for upside and like there's no more of an upside play than judge in my mind. Like I, I like drafting quote unquote like first round talent and like when judge is fully healthy, that's what he is. Like he's just, a, you know, a, a guy that's not going to kill you or, or hurt you in batting average these days with how the league batting average trend's gone and someone that could hit 45 home runs relatively easy. I mean, I think it's shocking how good he was. Exactly what you said quietly. I didn't realize it was a 287 average. I didn't realize it was 39 home runs and 89 runs and 98 RBI. I didn't realize he played 148 games and 633 plate appearances. That's massive. Uh, And and for for all that want to talk about how little we've seen of Judge, there is a case to be made that even if he does get hurt, whatever... We've seen from him before. Sure, 2020 is weird, but that's honestly weird for everybody. Uh, 28 games and still hit nine home runs in that time. But uh, 2018, 2019, when he was hurt, still gave you 27 mm-hmm. home runs in both of those seasons with over 70 runs as well. Uh, 102 games in 2019, 112 in 2018 for Aaron Judge. Right? It's not like you're getting a lost pick if it doesn't pan out at all for a judge. Uh, the question is, of course... All right. If do we, how much of a healthy season do we see? Uh, and is there someone else that can be a larger impact, more of a stable offering here? And honestly, I mean, I kind of I saw this as I went, whoa, second round judge. I mean, I don't, I don't know about that. Then I'm looking at the rest of the draft. I don't know who I would have picked instead at this point. Uh, maybe the guy I did because I'm biased. It's Trevor Story. <laughs> You can make a case for Salvador Perez being that much better at catcher than everything else, so that's worth it. I mean, I agree with you. I think that Devers is the better pick, but honestly, I haven't really done my dive on Devers yet. Uh, It's really close, so I I don't have any pushback here about Judge here. Some might say, well, Brandon Woodruff went next, 
And if anyone looking at Steve's team notices that you picked no pitchers in the mm-hmm. first seven rounds, I mean, I, I'm the one that will praise this immensely. And I, I kind of want you to talk about that strategy a little bit. Yeah. I, when it comes to like drafting pitchers, I, I, I'm like Craig Robinson's character in, in Knocked Up, where, you know, uh, I, I'm just not going to let these pitchers onto my team. Like, this guy's old, this guy's injured. I can't be letting those kind of people onto my team. Like, you know, in a vacuum, I, I like them. I would I would have them on my team. If you could say that they'll be healthy and nothing's going to go wrong, like I, I, I'm 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 totally good with it. But I just find them to be the riskiest picks that early. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's easier to identify pitchers with upside that could provide value later on in the draft than it is for hitters. Like you speak my language, Steve. I mean, like, <laughs> It, uh, you know, like this year, like uh, in, in TGFBI, like I, I had a, a really good staff. Um, that was a little different because there's no trades. Um, sure. And, and I, I did take Woodruff relatively early. I think I set the min on him in NFBC last year at like 16 or something, 16 overall. Uh, but after that, like the next pitcher I took was like Julio Arias. And then, you know, f- like Freddie Peralta, like in the back end of the last few rounds and my staff was set. Like my pitching was not an issue at all whatsoever. So, you know, there's guys like, you know, Robbie Ray was like a pickup in, in most leagues this year. Like there's guys that are just can provide value that you could build a staff off of. Whereas if you take, uh, you know, DeGrom this year or Bieber, if you went with that for, you know, pocket aces or whatever, it, it, it just could, blow up in your face and it's right. not I something mean, it, that I'm comfortable it, doing it's not of course to say that there's nothing that can blow up in your face if you take elite hitting Cunha was <laughs> hurt sure. Trout was hurt there's mm-hmm. Yalich and Bellinger are those stories all that kind of stuff that it happens on both sides I uh, I'm certainly biased anyone that has constantly listened to on the corner knows how I feel about this um, and how plentiful the waiver wire is so we're going to follow that of course through this draft about who you did take ultimately later on and that starts in round eight but we weren't we're not there yet mm-hmm. and something i do focus on personally when i do this strategy is it's less about chasing the ceiling of the early hitters for me because i don't want to deal with it in season steve i i really just don't want to focus my energy on trying to figure out how to craft my outfield or fix my second base problem in season because i find it personally harder to do that and easier to find something like Adam Wainwright, Carlos Rodon, or whatever, first have Kyle Gibson on the wire. So I don't know if I'm going to lean towards this, the, the injured focus in the beginning. Aaron Judge, though, Acuna, I can't really, you know, criticize much at all, honestly, and as if I'm chasing that. But Byron Buxton in the third round, maybe I do have an issue there. I want you to, to talk about why you decided to go with Buxton instead of, say, Tyler O'Neill, Salvador Perez, Trevor Story, Starling Marte. Manny Machado, Jordan Alvarez, Xander Bogarts, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, l- looking back at it, considering the injury risk that I took uh, with my first two picks, it probably wasn't the smartest pick. Um, I- I- I'm not going to take Salvador Perez. I'm not going to pay up for that. I'll never pay up for a catcher. I just, I just can't do it. Um, you know, uh, it- it's, it's something that, I've never done it and never will do, despite the fact that Perez just looked like an absolute monster and was a monster this year uh, and was a great value and a league winner in most cases. 
Um, a guy that I really like uh, is Jordan Alvarez. I probably could have bumped him up if I wanted to be a, a little bit safer here. But the, again, to, to go back to that, you know, uh, that that you word, that upside word, uh, that's what I'm a sucker for. And, you know, Buxton has has shown that if 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 you put together something like 140 games, it'll just be an absolute monster fantasy season like that. I don't know if there's a larger if you can yes. say, Steve, because he's done that. I, I, once I gave three. Is career. that not enough? Yeah, he gave once in his career, only twice above 90 games. And we're talking since 2015, the last four and actually the last three, because I don't want to include 2020, yep. even though he was hurt for that or missed mm-hmm. time in that one. Mm-hmm. Um, 28 games, 87 games, 61 games was this year. There was Chris Towers, who was on Nick Pollock and friends and really hampered in the point to me. History did not begin at the beginning of this month or so. Essentially talking about Luis Castillo, but I remember him also putting out tweets about Byron Buxton. Be like, we know he's really good when Buxton was amazing in April. It's just, how long are we going to see it for? And I, I have to, yeah, I have to believe that if essentially if you get Buxton in the third round, he has to play at least 120 games, um, at least, for this to really pay off. Um, and considering we haven't seen that. <laughs> maybe once in his career really um i don't know if this is the pick i would be making no i it's totally fair um and there's really no reason to to say that he would play that many games i'm just taking a gamble and saying like maybe he will eventually like, <laughs> you know I, i'm willing to pay that price he had 169 wrc plus in yeah, 61 games it's insane like his strikeout rate isn't anything crazy 24.4 percent 340 iso and like the fastest guy in the league so you know it's just i like to dream on on these sort of things Uh, again probably to a fault um yes it's probably in the 20th percentile outcome that he does play even like 110 games right I, I, I'm. He's just so good. Yeah, I yeah. can't resist. I can't resist. It's gonna be. It's gonna be chicken in all of your drafts. <laughs> of who is going to make that pick? Because everyone wants to, but what is the right round? I don't know yet. We're gonna move on to the fourth, where you took Pete Alonso. You took three outfielders to start, and with Goldschmidt off the board, Matt Olson and Freddie Freeman, Vlad Guerrero Jr., and I think that's all of the first baseman eligible guys. You have Pete Alonso here. Was this uh, was there something about targeting first baseman? Do you just like Pete Alonso, or was this just you know, best player available? Um, I, I think it's important to get a, a not really like a you know uh, I wouldn't consider him like a the first tier first baseman, but a top tier first baseman, like you know someone in the top ten, just because mm-hmm. I think it's a really top heavy position. There, I, I don't know. Growing up playing fantasy baseball, like it was always like, oh, there's so many first basemen, and like I think that's kind of engraved in a lot of people, and me particularly, that sometimes if you kind of gloss over first base, you can get in trouble there. It gets sure. pretty shallow pretty quickly in my in my mind. Um, looking back at it, I I, I, I kind of hope I, I kind of regret not taking Muncie. I think this was right when like Muncie got hurt though. So we didn't know if it, there was like major surgery coming or anything like that. Sure. Yeah. Um, Muncie, I think because of that is probably a little bit 
deflated in, in this draft. I think it was like right around when he got when he got hurt when he had that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he went the sixth round. Yeah, uh, near the beginning of it to Alexander Chase. Yeah, I think if he even plays in the World Series or like you know is is healthy shortly thereafter, that that should bump up. But I, I think Alonso is like kind of like a boring good guy. Like you could kind of pencil him in for. 260 35 home runs at the, at the minimum like I'll, I'll take that as a setter and forget it first baseman it's nothing like you know I, I'm not like oh I'm super excited I got Pete Alonso in the fourth round but it's just something that I, I think brings some stability especially with some of the risks that I took uh, in the first three rounds sure yeah I mean with Muncie I I keep forgetting that he still has second base eligibility <laughs> Um, and I forgot about it in the one with Chad Young because we were talking about the different second baseman around and Muncie sixth round as a second baseman is just oh, so yeah, that's, a, that's great. That's great. That, that's that great is pick. crazy. One of my favorite, one of my favorite picks from the I draft, should have sure. taken him instead of Jose Altuve because I didn't realize that, honestly. Uh, but anyway, that's beside the point. <laughs> uh, Pete Alonso is a rock, you know, 37 home runs this year. That's yep. That sounds about right. 81 runs, 94 RBI. He's going to go through hot and cold stretches. He actually was really cold to begin the year. Mm-hmm. We were thinking about kind of uh, last year in 2020. It was a little bit strange too at times. Uh, average came back up from 231 to 262. Strikeout rate plummeted to 20%, which is great. Exactly what you want to see. Uh, swing rate did increase a little bit without a swing and strike rate going down. So he's making better contact. Uh, it's, it's, it's all the good signs you want. Yes. The home run five ball rate is lower now, but he still hit 37 home runs and he's going to give you a lot of RBI. The one pushback I am going to have with you is, uh, is the depth of first baseman. I think it's actually much, much larger than I realized when I was doing my draft. Hey, I took Freddie Freeman in the second round. I thought, I thought I did exactly the same thing as you, Steve. And then, uh, looking over this, we're seeing Jose Abreu, Kyle Schwarber, Mount Castle, Ryan Mount Castle, Cody Bellinger, even Josh Bell, Reese Hoskins, Brandon Belt, Jared Walsh, CJ Crone going back to Colorado. Joey Votto just had mm-hmm. an incredible season. Yeah. And that's all stuff from the 14th round up. I mean, I took Rizzo super late because I think that's an interesting pick. There's there's Spencer Torkelson in the 22nd round. He might be seeing a lot of time, too. It's getting deeper and deeper again because I know in previous yeah. seasons – it was okay. I need a plan for first base mm-hmm. because I can get really messed up later on, but it's coming back a little bit and it will might make the necessity for Alonso go a little bit. Uh, well, dwindle just a touch. Yeah, that that's, that, you're definitely right there. Uh, not to completely backtrack on what I said, uh, defending the pick, but yes, it's, it's definitely deeper than probably I gave it credit for. Yeah. I mean, we're the same though. Like I had mm-hmm. the same thought. I was like, you said that. Said, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Then I started looking at the board. I was like, Oh wait, but then there's this. And then there's, Oh my God, you know, <laughs> I'm realizing yeah. this with you here. Uh, so, uh, so I mean, so, so far though, Acuna jr. Judge bucks and Alonso, a ton of power, ton of you you are certainly padding the stats well here. Um, and entering the fifth round, I imagine you're going through that philosophy of, okay, right. Got to get a second baseman. Uh, because you don't want to be messed up at second base, which you are right about. I mean, say for the Muncie one, which I mentioned before, Jazz Chisholm and Tommy Edmond are in the eighth round, but then LeMahieu, I don't know, Torres, uh, McMahon, Cronenworth, Scope, Nicky Lope, it gets pretty bad pretty quickly. So you do want to have a second base plan, absolutely, and you chose Brandon Lau instead of Altuve and Kettle Marte, and of course Max Muncie. What made you go with Lau? Um, I, I was debating between Altuve and, and, and Marte, um, and then I, I literally pulled up Brandon Lau's player page. I was like, "Wow, 
uh, I did not realize he was this good. Like that's that that was my process. Like he had uh, talk about like another quiet season. Like a, is that the most quiet thirty nine home runs for for, <laughs> right? for anyone? Like he was really really good, especially in the second half. He completely cut his K rate too in the second half. Uh, I think it was down to like twenty percent where he was at like you know, 27% for the year. So shows you how, how bad it was uh, in, in the first half. Um, and, and he's just, you know, a guy that's going to do a, a, a bit of everything. And if he takes any of that K percentage gain, he is not going to kill you in the in batting average department. I think he hit 290 in the second half, which, oh, wow. you know, I know that's a dangerous game to play. Like people like to do it just because it's a, it's an easy split and it's pre all-star break, post all post all-star break. It's kind of arbitrary, but there looked like there was some significant gains there for, for Brandon Lau in the, in the second half. And to get a guy that could pop 40 home runs at, at second base while not killing you in batting average, uh, I, I'm all there for that. I mean, it's it's a showcase of saying, hey, this can be consistent through a stretch is pretty much what it's saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, by saying, hey, Brandon Lau's second half was a 291 average. Uh, and that's a pretty cool thing. Uh, 21% strikeout rate in that time, 162 WRC+. is pretty cool. Uh, and I will say that he is way better against right-handers. Mm-hmm. Um, this has always been the thing with, with Lau. 34% K rate against lefties, 24 against righties. It could even be something that you just want to platoon it even to get even more out of it as well was that in your thought process with this um not really like sure he he is definitely better against righties and like it's not going to be it's not ideal when he plays lefty but you know it's still close to what 75 percent of the time he's going to be facing a righty um it's not like the rays straight up sat him or anything like that that's when i start to get worried when you're not in the lineup like that was a guy like like Austin Meadows. I had a few shares of him this year, and there was times where he just didn't really play against lefties, which that's when it becomes a concern for me. So like you know, Meadows is still a great fantasy player and and and, and pop close to thirty home runs, but it, it, it I, I start to think about platooning him when the team is actually platooning him. If he's sure. running out there, I, I, I'm okay with it, and you know the overall line. You know, you'll miss a few of those home runs. I'm, I'm sure. Uh, I, I'm okay with a talent like that to kind of set and forget it, despite the fact that he is a lot worse versus lefties. Right. I, I mean, I never do it because I don't really enjoy using my bench spots on hitters that often. Maybe one or so. Agreed. Uh, I'm the same I, way. I want to chase pitching with that. And that's why I want to get my locks mm-hmm. with hitting. Uh, I will say, if there's anyone to make a case for that, it is Lau because I mean it's really just such <sighs> yeah. a stark difference. One sixty-one WRC plus versus eighty-three. It was ten home runs that you missed, but I will also mention, just because he's starting against the lefty does not mean he'll face a lefty in all three to four at bats. Mm-hmm. Uh, that got started could be removed out the game after one. It could be only seen for two. It could be three instead of four. Does not mean that the entire day is just that, and you could be missing a good amount of those stats as well. So, something to heavily consider if you want to play that game, and you have, you know, you have another guy you can move around, say like a Marcus Semyon to pair with this, um, and then you can take an upside like an O'Neill Cruz at the end uh, to get shortstop and then second base Semyon and allow on the bench for that day by all means. But hey, Lau just yeah, he bopped 20, 39 home runs. That, that's uh pretty dang good um on a winning ball club nearly 200 runs plus rbi so totally get this in the fifth round uh sixth round 
You went to shortstop. So with Seager and Anderson off the board now, Wander Franco and Javier Baez just leaving. Uh, Carlos Correa was your pick. Aldoberto Mondesi, Jorge Polanco, and Jazz Chisholm were the next three shortstops. Uh, what made you go with Correa? Uh, I, I was debating between him and Wander. Uh, I had Wander lasted to me, it probably would have been tough just because I do have a lot of those upside plays. Not that Wander, I think, is even that much. Like, he's just – he looks – beyond his years like it doesn't look like he's <laughs> gonna have to grow through that like you know yeah. sophomore slump or anything like that he just looks like uh you know to, to not be like an old baseball scout he looks he like reminds, a ball he looks like a ball player you know he reminds me of soto in many yes, ways yes he does he really does like he has the plate discipline uh he'll probably end up being a steal and now i'm i'm regretting that he didn't he didn't slide to me but Correa is kind of like in this uh, in this mock draft that doesn't exist. And yeah. We're not actually playing. Yes, yeah. right. Yeah, I'm Massive very upset regrets. about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm losing sleep over it at night, honestly. <laughs> um, in regards to Correa, like I think maybe it's just another one of those cases where he had so much hype, was the number one pick, was supposed to be like this superstar shortstop, and like the next coming of like a of, of he was hyped to like Trout levels almost. Like he he was supposed to be that guy. And just because he's been like 80% of that, like I, I think he's unfairly been knocked down and sort of forgotten over over the last two or three years. Um and, and I I don't think he'll ever be that like, you know, a nine hundred OPS like first round talent, but I think you could pretty much pencil him in for well above average production from from shortstop that's going to pop you know close to 30 home runs with a decent batting average and really good plate skills so chance for upside in in any year where you know uh, a, a few more homers go his way right i i i have to lean on the side that Carlos Correa just had his career year yeah and uh i generally uh favor the side of if you just had a career year you're not gonna repeat it next year uh which i think is a I always think of it kind of like in music. You're supposed to hit the peak note and then fall down one. Um, whenever you do, it's I'm not going to go on to more music <laughs> theory. Um, but I, but essentially, 26 home runs, 104 runs, 92 RBI, and 148 games. The highest game total he's had since 2016. The previous one, so 2017, 2018 was 109, 110, and those were his highs. Uh, then 75 in 2019. He did play 58 in 2020. But it was a shorter season, and it know, wasn't that good. Yeah. And it was, yeah, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't very good. good. That's a good yeah. point too. Five home runs, twenty-two runs, twenty-five RBI, two sixty-four average, and he stole on base, which he stopped completely. Originally, yeah. it was really exciting mm-hmm. that he had these double-digit steals. Um, you'll get more from Brandon Lau, honestly, yeah. uh, than you will Carlos Correa, who might even give you ten if you're lucky uh, with Lau. Uh, so with Correa, it feels like contract year. He showed up. He finally did his things. Now he gets his payday. And it's going to, I mean, I'm reckoning somewhere between 20, 25 home runs and probably 170 combined runs in RBI if you're lucky. And like that's that's good. It should help. You won't want to take him out the entire year. Um, I just hope you get the volume uh, considering his lack of ability to stay on the field typically. Mm-hmm. It's my only concern here. Totally fair. And I think his, his ADP will fluctuate depending on where he signs. Like, if it's Detroit, which there's been rumors just because, you know, the ties to the manager there. Or if it's Yankees and he gets to play in Yankee don't Stadium. Don't say that right now. In, do in, not. In don't the, do that. <laughs> I mean, 
as a former Yankee fan myself, like I am quietly hoping for that. Uh, Wait, former? I I was a diehard Yankee fan growing up, and honestly, fantasy baseball has taken over. I like I remember the exact okay. moment. Okay, like, so if you have a team, it's yes. it's the Yankees. Yeah, yeah. Like oh, okay, I, I, I'm the I same was, way then. But like. I wasn't upset when they got like eliminated from the playoffs or anything. Right. Like I wasn't like, really that sad. Everyone's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm like, I don't, yeah. whatever. It's yeah. about baseball right. now. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like, I was yeah. like eh, you know, they weren't that good anyway. So I'm kind of happy yeah. that they're, that they're out. <laughs> yeah. Before I'd be devastated, want to yeah. see my friends, all that kind of yeah. stuff. Oh, absolutely. Now I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, hey, cool. I get to see more Nathan Evaldi and hopefully that mm-hmm. curveball like works out in the playoffs. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, Correa could go to the Tigers. It could go, I guess, to the Yankees. Oh, I just think that there's too much bad blood blood between the Astros. And I think it would be so happen. cool. I think it'd be so oh, cool. Oh man. Uh, but I, I truly believe that the Astros are going to resign him. Um, and I, it just makes too much sense for me, mm-hmm. but it depends on how much he asks for. And the Tigers have money to spend and a, you know, they need this stuff now as they are, they're trying to get Scooble and Mize and maybe Boyd going. And we'll see. There's some, uh, they're starting to accelerate now in Detroit. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I want Wander Franco as best I can. I've convinced myself that I have to get Wander Franco ever, which yeah. is crazy. Absolutely nuts and so against my mentality, but I just can't help shake the feeling that like it's it's Wander Franco. You know, but hey, he was gone. So this is the, the safest best Bondesy. Too injured and Polanco, eh, it seemed too ridiculous. I, I can't have a team with Mondesi and Buxton on the same team. <laughs> That's a very good point. Uh the one one consideration I'm having is it's six round Correa. And uh, it's more more about if you're not taking Korea here, then you're probably waiting a long time. You're probably waiting yes. to chase Bobby Witt or mm-hmm. maybe Dansby Swanson, uh, Willie Adamas, that kind of thing. Um, so if you weren't going to go Korea here, is there someone else that you were eyeing? Uh, Swanson was my backup plan uh, for, for later on. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I was a big uh, fader of Dansby Swanson, but he completely proved me wrong uh, this year. And <laughs> I just think like he's sort of a guy like to the less extent of Correa, like obviously, you know, Correa is probably a, a better all around hitter, but like you could pencil in Swanson for uh, 250, you know, uh, a, a handful of steals and a, a good amount of pop, which I de- I didn't think he showed, didn't think that he had. I think he he was streaky and showed it in flash before, but this year he kind of showed it all. So that that was really my backup plan. Um, I, I wasn't really like targeting a shortstop uh, other than um, Wander at, at that point, who uh, I, I kind of really wanted. Man, um, that's but, another that's another Alexander Chase pick. I'm going to give him yeah. so many seals of approval. It's not fair, but. Yeah. Uh, He's going to get that one for Swanson, 27 home run, mm-hmm. Dansby Swanson in the 16th round. Mm-hmm. Woo-wee. Okay, we're going to move on. Seventh round here. Chris Bryant was your pick as you decide, you know what? I need a fourth outfielder before I get a pitcher. Uh, or is Chris Bryant going to be your third baseman? Third, third baseman. Ah, third I baseman. see. Yes, so now, yes, yeah, yes. now you have the entirety yep. filled out before catcher in your util. Mm-hmm. So talk to me about Chris Bryant. Uh, he's sort of the same thing that I view as like Correa, like another guy that like had all this hype, kind of lived up to it with with his MVP year, and has never really been the same really since that that shoulder injury in like 2018, where he got off to that unbelievable start and like was kind of off and on injured for pretty much three years until this year, where he played you know uh, close to uh, the most games actually since uh, 
2019 with one with 144. So he was still banged up, but I think he's sort of like this oatmeal veteran pick that like I'm totally fine with plugging this guy in at my third baseman and like setting and forgetting, you know, 25 home runs with the, with a 265 average. Like I'm cool with that. It's not, I have my upside in, in, in the other picks, right? Like it's nothing that's going to like pop off the page like Wander does, but it's sort of that oatmeal that I think I need to take to balance out the risks that I take. Maybe I should switch that. I should be a little bit less risk averse, uh, with my first two <laughs> picks and then take higher upside guys here. But uh, I, I, I'm all right with it. Um, he does a little bit of everything in this. Uh, I'll be Chris honest Bryant. here. I so so here's here's the story to Chris Bryant. If you ask me, um, 2018 was the down year. It was a shoulder stuff, mm-hmm. right? 102 games, 13 home runs. And it, it just wasn't as overwhelming as we had seen. However, 2019 was excellent. Mm-hmm. 147 games, 31 home runs, 108 runs, 77 RBI, 282 average. Like, don't forget, he is an average guy. He does yeah. really, really well with it. Gets on base a lot, too. Um, always, always had double-digit walk rates. Now, 2020 was a very much of a down year. was banged up. And I think that kind of carried over into 2021. Not to mention, there's something to be said about guys when they're playing on a on a rough team. Uh, there the morale gets to you and you don't feel that drive that um, necessity to really you know sometimes you maybe need to do too much it's just it's not in your head it's not fun and it, it's not infectious and I think that was the way with the Cubs a good amount um, I believe if I remember correctly uh, I gotta double check this quickly yeah when he was on we on the Giants he was pretty solid he sold six bases in just 51 games for them I, uh, it, it was about a, I don't know, I want to say about 25 home run pace or so, um, with the giants. I kind of think that Chris Bryant, you signed him to a very good team, uh, which I imagine he'll go to because if you're going to sign Chris Bryant, that means you're competitive for the most part. Generally, when you talk about major free agents, in the off season, rarely do they go to a bad team unless it's a mega, mega deal. And then they're going to, you know, be there for 10 years or so. Uh, but Chris Bryant could settle in as a 3-4 somewhere, maybe even a 2, and coast to yet another 275 season with 25 to 30 home runs and close to 190 runs in RBI combined. Um, at third base, keep in mind, which uh, once you get around here, there's Bregman, Rendon, Arenado, and then it starts to shrivel a little bit. Mm-hmm. You don't want to go Cabrian Hayes, maybe Jonathan India, Juan Mankata, Justin Turner. I'm going to have Chris Bryant circled as my third baseman yeah, um, wherever I can. And you're going to seal of approval for this in the seventh round because I think the floor is pretty dang high. I don't think that you're going to get like a 20 home run season, a 255 average or something like that from Bryant. I'm like, I'm inclined to think that this is, you know, that 2022 is the season that comes around for him. New scenery, new everything, fresh start, all of that fun stuff for Chris Bryant. Skill says still there. Uh, I, I'm I'm in here. So silver approval, seventh round, Chris Bryant. There we go. Only, <laughs> only took seven rounds for me to get silver approval, right? Hey, it's hard to get yeah. one in the first six rounds. The guy really needs to fall that we just completely ignored yeah, or yeah, something yeah. along those lines. Yeah, uh, 313 Babbitt, too, and for his career is 335. Uh, other than the shortened season, that's, that's you know, uh, by that's far the pretty much. And I just don't really see much that says, hey, Chris Bryant can't be close to that 2019 2017 2016 guy really 
Uh, so there's there's a decent amount to like here with Chris Bryant, and he's still honestly relatively young. Uh, he's going to be thirty as opposed uh, that to makes the me, 30, that makes me feel 34. old. That makes me <laughs> feel old that he's going to be thirty. He's going to be thirty. Yep on on January fourth. Um, but all right. Uh, so now finally. Yep. You know, even I took two pitchers before you did, <laughs> which is crazy. Um, were there was there a certain pitcher before uh, before Shohei Otani? I know you mentioned you wanted Shane McClanahan as the guy. I took him from you, um, or maybe we talked about that before the podcast started. Was yeah. there another pick in the first seven rounds where you were looking, you thinking, "I got to stick to my guns here," that you wanted to take instead? Not really. Like a, a <laughs> guy that a guy that I would have targeted is is probably like. Urias, if he fell a little bit more, like to the sixth round, but uh, that was, you know, no, that's probably, not going to happen. Yeah, that that that's not going to happen. None of these guys like really jumped off the page for me. Like I couldn't. Like this is probably because I had Freddie Peralta everywhere last year. Like I could not. And this is like I I, I know people have talked about this before. It's definitely like you know some sort of mind game that that is to a fault. Like I never find myself being able to pay for a guy that like. I got so much excess value from the sure. year before. Right. It, it's very hard for me to do, but yeah. I, I mean, here's, I see McC- uh, Alcantara in the fourth round. Yeah. Like, what? It's, yeah. And it's great. I love to see yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, I do. It's great. I love Sandy Alcantara. He was amazing. He was one of the best pitchers, if not the best pitcher in the second half, basically since that, what that one start where he got blown up for like 10 runs, right? Yeah. After the that, Rockies was, and the yeah. Dodgers, but yeah, the Rockies was the one. And then he yeah. went off. And, and then he was the best pitcher in the league but, after but, that. But here you are, um, eighth round now, and Shohei Otani was your pick. Why Shohei Otani? I, I, I think that on a per game basis, like he's kind of like a one A for, uh, for an ace. Like he still pitched 130 innings this year, which I don't think anyone really would have predicted. Like they really took the kids kid gloves off with him despite the fact that, you know, they did miss a star tour here, here or there, but they kind of let him go. And if the angels want to be good, they have to be good. They need to be good for Mike Trout and for like everyone's sanity on baseball Twitter. Like huh. the angels need to eventually be good. They, they truly do. And they're going to need Otani to be not only this amazing hitter, but also be their ace. Like, right. I don't think there's anyone else out there that they're going to sign that could do that. Like I, I I'm, I'm pretty confident in at least a repeat uh, of this year, which when he pitched is close to an SP one. So, okay. Here's the problem I have with Otani. I love him so much. I was the guy, the high guy on him. I think I don't remember. I remember just getting it with fast, like fast is going to throw at least hundred innings. I promise you. Um, but I mean, 318 the year, right? 109 whip, 29% carry. This is great. Uh, the problem I see is Otani likely isn't going to throw that many innings this year. Um, I am terrified. I'm terrified of the injury history of, of Otani. Even before he arrived, there was a little bit of one. And, he, had, uh, did he, he had TJ though, right? He uh, had TJ, yeah, he which did. is, yeah. which is now in the past. But the fact of the matter is he just, Played a long season. I'm so happy he survived it. I could not be happier. I will not. I uh, I will not forget everything. All the worry we had before this season, and one season does not change this. You know, we really need to keep that in mind. Of I think 130 is probably the peak for Otani. 
uh, when it comes to his uh, innings expectation. And if you're getting 130 innings, and yes, it was excellent, especially later on. He did have some moments of question of how deep is he going and some some volatility, uh, but he ironed it out by the end. I don't I don't know if that's worth the eighth round pick. Uh, I've been wrestling with this in my rankings of Otani through the entire season, even and uh, in my two early marks. I will say this round had so many starters. Joe, mm-hmm. Joe Musgrove, Alec Manoa, Carlene Kershaw, Frankie Montes, Shane McClanahan, Jose Brios, and Dylan Cease all went in this eighth round before your pick. Um, and I can see a good amount of them there being a lot more stable um, as your SP1 that he needs mm-hmm. to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so was there uh, like what kind of what kind of production do you expect? How many innings do you expect from Otani and how did this shape the rest of your draft? Um, it's definitely probably riskier that the, the fact that this is my first picture, I was hoping that either Manoa or McClanahan fell to me, but again, like they're going into their second year, like how much more, how many more innings can I bank on, on them than I can for Otani? I know that there's more of an injury history with Otani and, you know, the fact that he hits too, and that the angels would never pitch him, you know, twice in five days or anything like that it's more going to be once a week so even when he is healthy you're never gonna get like a two-start week or anything like that but i i hear what you're saying about otani and it's definitely more true for him but it could be applied to any pitcher in my mind like there's there there's it's a little different i mean you saw even this season of of health there was not health yes Yes, no one's going to get the Otani treatment when they're healthy. That's 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 right. Sure. So built on top of the standard risk in pitchers, there's the Otani games that are going to be uh, played or uh, you know played. That sounds like you know a new Netflix show. Uh, <laughs> Otani games. Uh, I'd watch it. I'd yeah, absolutely. Watch I, oh, it. I'd watch. I'd watch it for sure too. Um, but that being said, his numbers stack up with at least on a per start basis stack up with like i said like like a number one and it is probably too risky like my what i tell myself heading into drafts like be more safe like i you know I, if you ever hear like ariel cohen of fan graphs talk it's like you know this isn't how drafts are, are won you have to you know find the value and make sure that you're not taking risks and all your risks need to be calculated like i kind of throw that out the window and that's sure. that's with this pick here but well, I, I love Otani too. It's it's more. Like, I mean, it's it's fun being yeah. able to root for a starting yes. pitcher Otani yes. here. And yes. uh, ninth round, you continue that risk a bit uh, with you, Darvish, who essentially after the the spin rate uh, or the the spider tack treatment uh, fluctuated in the second half. To put it lightly, his command was in and out and in and out, and it led to just a maddening uh, time as a manager. Which I should say. Is part of the the headache with Otani is as a manager. Think of yourself in season, of how frustrating is. Ah, oh, he's not going to start this week. What do I do? And that kind of stuff can. Uh, that's a typical hipster. That is the headache inducing starting <laughs> pitchers that stifled the entire roster. Yes, it is probably spelled out there in hipster. But moving on to Darvish, uh, do you think that we're going to see a full rebound here in this off season? I think we should see some of a rebound, right? Like he was going in the second round last year. He was being drafted like well in the top 10 of pitchers uh, last year. And then for the first month, you know, two, three months, he was that. I think there's going to be a a nice cushy middle here with with Darvish. It probably won't be as elite as his 
20, you know, from when he ever, whenever he figured out that arm slot uh, and got that right back in 2019 um, to, you know, June of this year or sticky stuff crackdown of this year. Um, I, I think that there'll be somewhat of a middle and I, I'm happy to take that with the upside of a guy who was being drafted, you know, well within the top two rounds last year. Yeah, it's oh, I, I go back and forth a lot uh, on Darvish. I mean, it was so good, so good. Two twenty eight ERA. Uh, we're talking a point nine one WHIP uh, for uh, for Otani with a thirty percent strikeout rate in those first thirteen starts until June 9th. and then it all went south. It was it was so rough through mm-hmm. the end of the year. Uh, it ended up with a a five ninety eight ERA. Basically, wasn't in the usable. 19. He, he was not usable. Every other start, essentially, he was. Yeah. He would have a five earned run yeah. start, then a one earned run, then yeah. an eight earned run, then a zero earned run, and just it was unbelievable mm-hmm. um, how how maddening that was. And the command would just be in and out from mm-hmm. the start. It wasn't really linked to the opponent either. It, it was just what are you what are you supposed to do? He'd face the Diamondbacks twice in a row: seven innings, two earned runs, twelve strikeouts. Great. Goes again, five earned runs in 2.2 innings, oh and you just go, what am I supposed to do? Yeah. I, I will say, among all of it, if you started him through the year, you had a 109 whip in the end. You had 199 strikeouts still and eight wins with a 4-2-2 ERA. He didn't destroy you if you had him in the entire year. Yes, the ERA is not good, but you didn't lose your league necessarily because of the 4-2-2 ERA and a Roto League, and he certainly helped in the other two departments. So there's something to be said about that, and at the end, I'm I'm on your side that there should be some improvement from Darvish. Um, we've been yelling all year that uh, the MLB should have instituted something uh, either in the preseason or waited until the offseason to address this instead of doing it midseason. Um, there's also an indication that some guys figured out in season how to find spin mm-hmm. again. Yeah. Uh, which is a little bit of a question mark of what's going on. Uh, are they just uh, using stuff and hiding it differently than they check, which is the hat, the glove, and the belt? I mean, that's all they're really doing on these pat-downs. So how else are they getting their spin, right? Uh, Darvish didn't seem to get that, though. Um, and maybe there's something in the offseason that helps him recalibrate, get back uh, on on the right foot. And it doesn't need to be a 201 ERA. Right? It doesn't no. need to be a... A, a, a three if it's a three five you're going to get a great whip excellent whip really and you're going to get an elite strikeout rate and ninth round sounds pretty dang good for that yeah and darvish is a guy that he's always tinkering like you always hear like articles in the offseason with darvish of him like in the pitch lab like figuring out like he's going to try to figure this out and how to you know how to manage and, and gain that some of that control back so, yeah, I don't know where I'm going to end up on Darvish. I probably will be raising him from my current ranks. I already have once. I probably will do it a second time. I, I'm I'm leaning close to 20 or so. But uh, it's going to be weird. Um, but all right, we're going to move to the 10th round. But before we do, we're going to take a very quick break. 
Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with with promo code podcast. Also, don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from YouTube videos, live streams, newsletters, off-season articles, TikToks, breakdowns, over 15 baseball podcasts on our network. We can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season. So sign up for PL Plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free. All right. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show. All right, so you already have two pitchers now, and you decide, well, I've got seven hitters. So we're going to go to a third starting pitcher, and that is Luis Garcia. What made you go with Garcia instead of, say, Ranger Suarez, Jose Garquiti, Shane Boz, Sonny Gray, and Marcus Stroman that went shortly after? Um, I I like the blend of Garcia having the upside of those guys, but also uh, proving it for, you know, uh, 155 innings this year. Uh, He was really really good uh you know a, a nine six eight k rate 2.9 walks per nine like sign me up like i i love looking at guy I, like the first thing i look at for pitchers is, is strikeout minus walks like uh and garcia jumps off the page with that um i know it hasn't been as great for him in in the postseason but probably has a little bit to do with the fact that you know he threw 155 regular season innings for the, the most innings of his career by far. And it's probably a little fatigue. So, um, you know, I, 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 I believe in that Houston pitching factory. Uh, I, I think they know how to get the most out of these guys. And I like uh, Garcia's stuff the most out of, out of all those uh, guys that I think there could be, you know, a, a decent jump in K rate. Like he went from, from high a in 2019 to, you know, pitching in the majors in the shortened season and then having this really good year. So, there's still a lot of room for growth. And I think Garcia has that blend of, okay, he was really good this year and then has some projectable upside too. You know, Luis Garcia, I completely missed on when he first came up. And then I remember Twitch chat being like, Luis Garcia, Nick, Luis Garcia, Carlos Mercano is really in on him. And I said, all right, fine, fine, fine. <laughs> and then I realized, oh, I'm, I, I didn't really love his fastball is what the problem was, but his cutter and slider were both mm-hmm. just so good. Um, we're talking elite CSW numbers on them. And the problem in the second half was that all of a sudden he stopped throwing a slider. I don't know why. And he started throwing more four seamers again. I don't know why. Uh, maybe it was the fatigue. Maybe he felt he didn't have that feel. Maybe it was mm-hmm. hurting him um, later on the year. Uh, and that's that's certainly a problem. And why we all of a sudden have a 3-3 ear, right? If you don't realize it was just so good mm-hmm. before that end stretch 117 whip and a 26% carry in the end uh, for Garcia. I like to think that he can get back to that, but we've also seen a lot of younger pitchers showcase this ability for a moment and then not really get it back. One that comes to mind is Zach Plesak, who had excellent sliders and, and change-ups and then just didn't have them uh, recently. So I'm not going to say that, oh, yeah, Luis Garcia first half is going to be back. Even while it was happening, it was a lot of, he's, okay, those are great, but he's not this great. I I, I want to think that Garcia... I um, mean, he did have his injury question, I think, for a moment in the postseason, but that mm-hmm. feels insignificant when it comes to 2022. 
Garcia will have a spot in the rotation for the Astros. Should be able to go 170 next year or so, uh, being in the rotation right away, just through 155 innings. It's Dusty Baker likely still there. Uh, so I I think this is a great pick. I, I don't really see who else I would be grabbing instead of Luis Garcia. You can make a case maybe for Jose or Keedy, but I think Garcia's two pitches have done a little bit more. You could say Marcus Stroman, maybe. You could say... Maybe, oh, it's time to go after Mike Clevenger. I'm surprised you didn't, honestly, given your upside tendencies. Yeah, I I, I, I wish. I, I, I would have thought about that. Uh, he was just a guy that, like, it's hard to draft without ADP and based on <laughs> last year's ranking. So, like, you have to find guys, and I, I definitely would have, would have targeted Clevenger. But I also like guys the second year back after uh, after TJ. Interesting. Uh, so the yeah, so I, I, you know, I, it would I be twenty twenty three for Clevenger yeah, for you. Yes, exactly. Sure. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think Garcia is a solid pick here. I uh, I'm wondering if there is really someone else that jumps off the page for me. I think Ian Anderson. I like a little more, maybe. Uh, I was considering but, him for sure. Uh, I was lucky to get him in the twelfth. I felt I gave myself a seal of approval for that. Uh, <laughs> Are you allowed to do that? Can you give yourself? No, I cannot. No, fast is going to yeah, be. We gotta get fit, yeah, we got to get Alex is going to come. He, he's going to do yeah. that podcast with me. I think next week. I <laughs> uh, but it's actually in two days from when this one airs. You guys can hear that one. I uh, but I uh, but yeah, solid pick here with Luis Garcia. I'm going to move on here to uh, the 11th round. Jonathan India and Jonathan India is someone who didn't come out of the gate storming hot. But really picked it up as the season went on. Ended with 21 home runs, 12 stone bases, a surprisingly high 98 runs for the Reds, 269 average. What do you see in India? And are you going to be targeting him a lot in drafts in 2022? Um, I think he's another product of the fact that there's no ADP and a guy that probably won't be here in March um, just because he has that dual eligibility, at least on Yahoo. Um, He's a guy that ran a little or you know a good amount for for stolen bases these days has pop and and should hit for average and is just kind of like he's like a prototypical riser i think uh, i was in pitcher mode and the fact that i'm like oh wow jonathan d's still here like uh, i i gotta take him like why not right um so uh it, it was more of the fact like okay uh this hitter is too good to, to pass on <laughs> um i'm pretty sure i mean he'll probably be the rookie of the year in, in the nl um I mean, that's a yeah, that's a good question. I really thought about it. I only think, of course, in pitching terms. Yeah. And I, I think India should run away from with that. Yeah, uh, I, I can't think, think so of too. who else would contest, honestly, from the pitching side. I'm sure I'm forgetting someone. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. India had a fantastic uh, mm-hmm. final four months, 18 home runs, and that time 281 average, um, 85 runs in just four months, and that's pushing away March, April, May. Uh, really, really spectacular season. Yeah, that ballpark, uh, you know, uh, a, a good lineup. Um, not that they're uh, be a great team, but yeah, uh, I, I, I'm all in on India, especially at that price. But like, uh, you know, it'll probably be a little bit more costly going forward. But I mean, still the dual eligibility, good plate discipline, doesn't strike out that much, hits for power. You know, uh, there, there's not much not to like with India. So there's a couple things. There's Trevor Rogers, Ian Anderson, Wasker Reno, and Devin Williams are all in contention there. Uh, Devin Williams is still a rookie. He's still I technically about that. a rookie. Yeah. So I uh, those are Yeah, oof. it's a it's a good it's a maybe if Rod if Rogers probably was the favorite had he not had, you know, the unfortunate time where he had to miss some time with uh, the family stuff, he probably would have uh, but I think I'd still give the edge to India there. Um and there's also Patrick Wisdom and uh, ah, Frank yeah. Schwindel. 
Uh, yeah. uh, and some Dylan Carlson as well. You can't you can't forget that. But I mean, I would say among the hitters, India Agreed. certainly has him. But I don't know. I think I give it to Trevor Rogers. I mean, two sixty four year right? Yeah, that's that the that's the pitcher analyst in you though. Yeah, hundred thirty three innings, two sixty four ERA. I mean, amazing. Yeah, four point two more. All right. Um, <laughs> so we're gonna move on here. I mean, I I want to say India is a seal of approval. It's just for second base this late. Uh, he comes up as third base. I don't know why. He's a second baseman, 148 games exclusively there for the Reds. Uh, it's, yeah, I mean, you can pair this with Brandon Lau. Mm-hmm. You can do that. There you go. Uh, and so you knew in the back of your head this is what you're going to do. And you actually get your proper utility bat, I and mean, you get two of them in the 13th round. And we'll talk about that soon. But before that is Adam Wainwright. And there's going to be a lot of debate. So oh, yeah. much discussion is Adam Wainwright. Uh, one hit one during this way, or I guess a moonlight uh, uh, year where it's not going to stick around next year. Or, hey, he's really fixed something. I feel that Adam Wainwright can be close to the, yeah, I'm going to read this right, 305 <laughs> ERA, a 106 whip, and a 21% K rate, which honestly matches his 2020 of a 315 ERA and 105 whip across 10 starts there, carried over and across 32 in 2021 so adam wainwright is this do you think this is just going to continue i mean i i don't think it'll be a 305 era but i think he'll be a serviceable pitcher and when you pair it with guys that you know get strikeouts like i have on my staff with otani and darvish specifically i'm totally fine with taking you know what hopefully should be you know, it, it, obviously, he's going into his age 40 season. He just pitched 206 innings. That's another crazy stat, considering where we're at with baseball these days. Uh, it, I, I think that I could pencil in, you know, 180 innings at at worst, the 390 ERA, which which is pretty good with, you know, no walks, uh, uh, probably a below average K rate, but someone that that'll be, you know, an innings eater, which I, I think that the fantasy community as a whole, like I don't think we ever really valued in innings either before because it's always about strikeouts, but with the way that pitching staffs are managed now, like that's important. Like just getting innings where guys aren't getting blown up could do a lot for you. And I think Wainwright is like probably, you know, uh, at his peak, obviously this year it's, it's, a borderline, you know, he's probably going to get Cy Young votes, right? Like, that's crazy. Oh, yeah. He's certainly going to get Cy Young votes yeah. this year. Uh, uh, on the topic of innings eaters, um, in the end, when it comes to fancy expression, uh, sometimes innings eaters can actually translate to strikeouts because even mm-hmm. though it's a 21% strikeout rate, uh, Adam Wainwright still had 174 strikeouts uh, because he went 206 in the third innings. Now, it does also give you an opportunity for wins, 17 wins here. It's it is very dependent how good you are though. There are bad innings, innings eaters. There's good inning, innings I, eaters. I mean, I can say this uh, because it's just about the expression of your ERA and WHIP. They just get amplified over how many innings. You have a three three ERA over two hundred innings as opposed to a three ERA over eighty. I'd rather the you know the three thirty because mm-hmm. it just that that helps your team more. The the, the other point I will say though is 172 innings essentially in 2019 with just one fewer start because Wainwright wasn't, wasn't as good. effective. You no. got to be... He was a bad innings eater. Yeah. For him to get a lot of innings, it means yeah. he has to be good too. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm not completely sold that he's figured out 
his entire approach to make this work. He had one of the highest called strike rates on his on his fastball this year. Uh, his curveball was was amazing, and the cutter was in and out. Um, Adam Wainwright, I don't know if you could pull off that magic and stay healthy for the full year and do that again. Uh, I personally think he's going to be closer to a Toby than he is this. Uh, and you know me, I don't draft Tobies, and I imagine mm-hmm. you don't either, Mister Upside. No. Nope. So and I, if I'm he leaning is, I, away from Wainwright personally. If he is, it's, it's uh, you know, I, I kind of view it as at this point in the draft, I'm okay to sort of cut guys rel- more quickly than I would any sure. of the guys taken before. So, you know, uh, I'd move on to the next hot pitcher. No problem if Wainwright has a, a rough few first starts. Well, we're not going to turn on to the next hot pitcher. We're going to next turn to the old and stable floor bat that is Nelson Cruz in the 13th round. How'd you feel getting Cruz here? Yeah, I think I put in the uh, the Discord chat like uh, death taxes and Nelson Cruz getting underdrafted and providing value. Um, <laughs> like as long as he just doesn't retire, like he's going to be good. Like, I, I think that's the only worry. Yeah. Honestly, why he's a 13th rounder. I, I mean, it's a seal of approval already just to let you know. Um, I was I was infuriated to see it. I was tempted, but then I saw Ian Anderson on the board. I said, "Well, I got to do that." And I, I even decided between Cruz and Reese Hoskins. I was like, "Ah, I should take Cruz." I was like, "Nah, he's still here. He'll be around another round." And oh, I should have taken Nelson Cruz. Um, Thirty-two home runs, uh, seventy-nine RBI. Sorry, runs and eighty-six RBI in one hundred forty games. He was a little bit worse with the Rays, but pretty much mm-hmm. with the Twins, he was exactly the same. Uh, 265 average is on the lower end, but I'm not too worried, honestly. And you will want Nelson Cruz in your Utah spot the entire year. Yeah, it's, he's a set and forget it guy. Like as long as he's playing, as long as right. he, literally as, as long as he doesn't retire. Right. He is so, going to do what he does. I imagine what round would you think Nelson Cruz will go in? Let's say he said, hey, I signed a one year deal with a raise. <sighs> There's still like an old guy util only stigma on him that would prevent him from like, right. Even when he had like that, uh, that those seasons with Seattle where he's hitting, you know, 40 home runs in the year. Like he, like the highest he ever went was like in the fifth round, just because I, I don't know, maybe because people, you know, thought this, that was coming sooner and it was still util only at that point. So the high, I, I think maybe in like the tenth or you know anywhere from like the eighth or tenth round, if he signs a one year deal with with Tampa or a different team where he he's in a good lineup and, and a good DH, like he's another one, right? Like he'll probably only sign with with a team that's ready to contend and a good lineup. Yeah, I and Nelson Cruz should be. Yeah, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say it's like tenth round. Yeah, is where we expect. Agreed. Something like that. But mm-hmm. anyway, seal of approval for Nelson Cruz. Let's get back to pitching. <laughs> so we got three in a row here, all youngins. I'm just going to mm-hmm. go one, two, three here. Mackenzie. I guess you uh, can Justin group McKenzie. in the, the last one too. Oh, yeah, I can. Actually, four. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I saw the, the slightly pink because it's a reliever, yeah. but he's not really. Yeah. So Tristan McKenzie, Eliezer Hernandez, Adbert Alzla, and Christian Javier all went one, two, three, four from the 14th to the 17th round from Steve Giswelli. Um Let's start, of course, with Mackenzie. And, uh, you know, what, what are you envisioning uh, for Mackenzie? <sighs> Uh, not to just gloss over it or, or not talk about him specifically, but with with this run in mind, like this is where I'm hoping that one to two of these guys hit as like an SP2. Right. Like that's my my strategy here. Um, Mackenzie's shown the flashes. Like he he's shown 
it's more like individual starts than like actual runs. But if he can get any bit of consistency with his command, I think that he could take a, a, a gigantic step forward. Um, and Cleveland's a pretty good place to do it. Like I, I, I'm always intrigued, like, you know, Bieber came up and was like this command first guy. And then like sort of Ed stuff, like, what it, what can they do with a guy that just has like all the raw stuff in the world and pretty much no command and like no track record of innings. Like if they could, those two things are probably harder to add than it would be with like Bieber where like, you know, just discovering that insane knuckle curve and adding a cutter, things like that. But it, it, it's a good place to do it. And I, I'm really intrigued by McKenzie uh, next year. Absolutely. I, uh, now there's a, uh, there's the question of, how big is the if of the command c- clicking? Um, it could big. be something where you don't know, even if he has a decent April, mm-hmm. is that going to stick around? Um, and I will say, your buddy Van, oh, Logan Gilbert and Josiah Gray, mm, mm, he took the two fun ones from me. <laughs> uh, I was really upset to see both of them go around that turn. Uh, and part of me was like, oh, I took Sean Mania, which is a little like more of a condensed or compressed room that is a little bit shorter ceiling, but um, higher floor, mm-hmm. I think. But even so, even Sean Mania would have, was like top 20 at one point this year. So what am I even saying? That's why I did it. But Logan Gilbert, Josiah Gray is super fun. And then mm-hmm. so you come back around and it's Eliezer Hernandez. And with McKenzie, fastballs is what you want to see you want to see like 93 miles per hour you want to see the breaking balls down with hernandez you're not going to get that velocity it's going to be like 90 91 but it's really about the development of that slider and change up so uh what kind of season do you expect or hope for from eliezer i i kind of hope for what he was when he pitched in the in the limited innings this year which he was pretty good like uh again it's another one of these like they're kind of dart throws but that's what I'm hoping for here with with Hernandez. That it's another organization that does really well with with talented arms, and I think Eliezer is exactly that. There was a lot of hype. I think you were pretty big on him in in the preseason, if I remember correctly. Eh, maybe I, not. I wasn't. Uh, um, there were some other staffers that were. There really were. There really was a lot of hype with him. Um, and other than the fact that he wasn't healthy, which obviously is a big deal. Like, there's no reason why. I don't think he can pick up that hype train again with with uh, what he's done so far. One concern I do have um, is that the Marlins generally are okay with younger guys going farther into games. Um, you've seen them from Rodgers going six early in the first half. You've seen it with Sandy Alcantara and Pablo Lopez, etc. Eliezer Hernandez didn't go six innings once in all of these 11 starts he made this year. Obviously, the first one, okay, fine, 2.1 innings. But then it was a steady five and maybe five and change or so. Uh, and I think that is a product of what Eliezer throws, where it's very slider-focused um, without something truly exciting after that. Uh, and it's it's the main thing that has me pulling back my Eliezer Hernandez love a decent amount. I actually, it's pretty interesting. These three guys, Mackenzie, Hernandez, Alzale, I all have in this tier 11. Uh, I have them a step down from, or a couple steps down from the others that, like the Logan Gilbert and Jedi Gray for this reason of, I don't know if they, you know, they really have to take a sizable leap to me for, to really become these stable guys that you can trust often. The changeup has a lot of work I think to do. Uh, it wasn't necessarily a detrimental pitch to him, but to be one that says, Hey, I can trust me. I can go three innings 
or sorry, I, I can go six innings confidently with three pitches. Not so much as the fastball got crushed 324 batting average allowed this year on Eliezer's fastball. So it's it's I'm a little worried and I don't know where the improvement it comes. Yeah, he, he might have some reliever risk like that. This stuff could definitely play up in like a, a bulk inning guy role uh, if it doesn't hit. But, you know, you know this late these and, and the fact that I, quote unquote, punch pitching like these are the risks that, I, that oh, I'm yeah. happy to take. Take your dart throws. With yep. pitching. I cannot yep. agree more about that. I. Uh, I also come to think of it, the Marlins are going to have a ton of pitching to choose from, and Eliezer could be one. Yeah, that he gets might be. Yeah, for pushed sure. Pushed away. You have Sixto mm-hmm. coming back. You have Jesus Cesardo in there, and then you have the core three of Trevor Rogers, uh, Pablo Lopez, and Sierra Alcatara. Edward Cabrera too. He's in there as well. You have Max Meyer at some point yeah. too. It's there's a lot. So they, they got to make a trade in the offseason. That's what they, they, they yeah. keep saying. Yeah. And they preemptively did that with Zach Gallon for Jazz Chisholm. Yeah. But uh, as we all yelled and screamed, I certainly <laughs> did. Edward uh, Elsley is after that. Uh, we saw some really nice spurts this year with that slider and fastball combination. I had the cutter just to have a cutter. Uh, maybe he's the one that clicks for you, Steve. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think you know, considering the cost, like I, 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 this is probably like the, the gamble that that I'm happiest with. Like, if you look at his overall line, like it, 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 you know, despite the, you know, four or five ERA, it's still pretty good. Like a a really strong strikeout rate, a really low uh, walk rate. That's what I'm a sucker for. I'm a sucker for K minus BB. It's it's, one of the best stats to follow. If you just look at one stat for the year, K minus walk rate is the best one you can do. Uh, and for a, for a second there, it really looked like Owsley was breaking out um, for the, you know, the first, I, I think he had like a rocky first two starts, but then through like April and May, he was really good and like looked like he was going to be a contributor and then kind of fell apart. Then he went to the bullpen and then did really well, uh, I, I think, in that bulk inning role down, down the stretch. So. It, it, it seems like sort of this natural progression for these young arms that hopefully next year he could take that next step and piece it all together. Uh, you know, that that's I think it's his slider. That's uh, just a really, really good pitch. Uh, it really is. It, yeah. it truly is. 41 percent usage, uh, 195 batting average allowed, 34 percent CSW, 68 <laughs> uh, percent uh, strike rate is really good. When you have a slider, you get a lot of strikes on it and they can't do damage with it. That's exactly what you want to see. Uh, I remember not being in on Owsley because I thought his mechanics were a little too violent. And then I saw some more video on him before the season started. And there's a popular clip on Twitch of me reacting, saying, I think I'm in on Owsley now. And, I, I, uh, I watched that. I watched that live on Twitch. I remember that. <laughs> oh, man. I'm like, doing that like, a lot. You like so. replayed the, the, the pitch like two or three times. You're I was like, like, hold on. Hold on. Wait a second. Wait a second. Because honestly, what it was is that I didn't realize, like, I really liked the heater all of a sudden. I was like, oh, this heater has more potential than I thought. It came in at 94 miles per hour, and I just saw the whole smoothness of the delivery. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait, this isn't this isn't the chaos that I expected. Uh, it still was an un- underperforming or underwhelming, I should say, uh, fastball. And that is the biggest weakness for Adbert Alzale. You know, near 300 batting average allowed on it, so 27% CSW, didn't get whiffs, just 8% despite the uh, 94 mile per hour average velocity. So that is really a major uh, question mark entering this year. Um, he did add a cutter by the end, and he did steal some strikes with it. The changeup really is not anything to write home about. 
Uh, so we'll see. We'll see how Alzay develops. The, the Cubs moved away from the rotation to the bullpen, but I think that was also more of, hey, you got hurt and we want to hold your innings and let's just think about this again next year. I'm excited about Alzay. I would say actually between Eliezer and Alzay, I would be swapping them for you. I'd rather take a chance on Alzheimer. I think there's more potential, more opportunity, especially with the Cubs. And the Cubs are like, go yeah. ahead, Alzheimer. Who else should have, have throw a, out there? Yeah. Have a fun time. Yeah. Um, and I will say the uh, the first 10 starts of the year, uh, when I was streaming him all the time, it was, was, it was really my streaming good. pick like every time. Uh, I was a .91 whip. Uh, this is across uh, 54 innings, so, or 55 innings, so essentially five and two-thirds average per start. Um a, a 362 ERA, uh, that wonderful .91 whip, and a 27% carry with just a 5% walk rate as well, is oof. That's 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 what we're chasing here. That's what I'm chasing here. Yep. And he did that for two full months. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's pretty cool from Alzheimer. Now you also have Christian Javier, who that was after that, uh, who's kind of exciting. I mean, we we thought we were going to see more of him this year. Uh, was moved away from the rotation uh, mid season. And we kind of thought, all right, the Astros are sure to say, you know what? That was May 23rd. We'll bring him back later on. This is just a thing for innings. And we never saw it. He did a lot of these two-inning uh, relief appearances. We kind of thought that him and Garcia would switch. That's what Spore was saying a lot. Um, and I agree with them. I thought that was what was going to happen. Um, but it just didn't. It just it just never happened. And now the Astros could be pushing Javier back into the rotation. I mean, it's not like he fit, pitched an insignificant amount of innings. It was 101 uh, this past year for Christian Javier. 355 ERA, 118 whip, 31% K rate. He helped. That was really good, even if you left him in as a reliever. Uh, what, what's, this, what's the ceiling here for Javier? Uh, this, the ceiling, it's it's sort of the similar thing with, with Alzalei. Like, the ceiling is what he did in the rotation the first, whatever, six weeks. Like, like that's what that's what I'm I'm dreaming on. Uh, I, I think there's going to be a spot in that Astros rotation. Like the, the I don't know if Odorizzi will be back. I think he signed a one year deal. Uh, even still, they they kind of messed around with him and, and have him in the bullpen for the for the playoffs too. So I would think he would get the edge uh, in, in that spot. But um, yeah, like like you said, it's it's just the strikeout upside. Like uh, I I. I I fell in love with, with, with him in, in the first few weeks. Like he was another guy. I'm like, how did I not draft this guy everywhere? Like he, you know, had all the makings of the sleep of a sleeper, uh, you know, that, that you look for and that, uh, you know, you try the draft in this area. So I'm kind of just running it back and hoping that he has a rotation spot. Um, the walk rate and control, like I kind of thought that was going to get better when I went to the bullpen. It didn't really, that's what's the most concerning thing. Probably if it did, like I don't like I think he would be much higher on, on a lot of people's board um, and wouldn't be here uh, uh, this late in the draft had that walk rate improved. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. But the, uh, you're going to find find flawed pitchers at this area and, and oh hope God, that they yes. get better. Yeah. Absolutely. It's the 17th round. Yep. Um, I I, I want to give you is uh, <laughs> it, it's close. It's very close. I find myself more and more in on Javier since I put out my rankings. I put them out. Initially, I did it on Twitch and had him outside the 100. Then I was like, no, no, no. Christian Javier needs to exist in here. So I put him mm-hmm. inside of it. And the more and more I, I think about him. Now, nah, it's it's too early. There are too many good ones left. I'm sorry. I can't do it. I, I You'll get one. You'll get two more. Don't worry. All right. 
Um, but I mean, Christian Javier is certainly someone on my list. I mean, there's Aaron Ashby after, so instantly I can't give it to you. Uh, but <laughs> I just love Ashby too much. Um, yeah, I, I, I kind of was kicking myself when he went right there. Uh, or, you know, Ashby was definitely on my queue that like was hope was falling. Right. But there's probably could have I mean, done that and talk myself. You know, Chad that. Young got a uh, seal of approval for his Denison Lamette in the 17th. If you want to talk about like making those decisions, that's a really good one to take because you'll know in April what the situation is with the I, I don't have enough IL spots for that. <laughs> you can just let him go then, whatever. <laughs> uh, that That's kind of the mentality I want to get people into of get guys where you'll be able to decide early. Is this here? Mm-hmm. Is that here? You know, what's the situation stuff? Don't get the ones that you're waiting three months for the breakout because then when you're switching the roster spot, well, you've missed out on all this other stuff that you could have been doing and you've already taken the damage of that guy. So um, with Christian Javier... He turned it more into a slider than a curveball this past year. It had a sub 100 batting average allowed. It, it was it's really good. He also had gains with his um was fastball velocity. I am double checking right now. It was a little bit higher as a starter. So you might be saying right, he's going to have a tick higher fastball regardless. But it was 93.6 overall this year. 93 as a um, 93 as a starter, and then last year 2020 it was 92.3. So he still had those gains early mm-hmm. on. And I imagine that's going to stick for a bit um, so. with uh, with Javier. I hope so. Yeah, exactly. But uh, I, I think there's stuff to like here. Um, and yeah, the 31% strikeout rate is, oof, that's awfully, awfully tempting to chase. Um, okay, so we have six rounds left. And you now have three, four, five, six, seven starters. Eight, rather. Yeah, kind of caught have, up Kind of caught up with everybody. Uh, but you don't have a cl- you don't have any closers. Um, you kind of need one more utility. Maybe you can have that as, jo- as Jonathan India, but I'm kind of thinking of that as the Brandon Lau platoon that I, I joked about before and didn't realize actually would happen. Um, and then you don't have a, yeah, you don't have any closers and you need one more util and essentially one more catcher, and maybe we'll see some starters. So 18th round, this is a fun one. You took Joe yep. Adele. Yep, it's a fun one. I was like, wow, this is this is cool. Like uh, I'm taking Joe Adele. Um, it, it, it's another one. Like it's kind of like the upside pitching picks that, I, that I've been making the last few rounds. Like maybe this is the year Joe Adele breaks out and, you know, fulfills that top prospect prophecy. There's been, there were signs like the power was, was there uh, in the, in the minors this year, especially like there was concerns like when he came up and during the shortened season and even a little bit before that, that like he wasn't hitting for much power and striking out a lot. He didn't stri- pare down the strikeout rate too much, but at least the power, the prestigious, like, okay, this is why he was a top prospect, uh, was there. Um, and he clearly showed that, you know, he probably is better than like a quad a player uh, at least, which I guess once you get to like this age of like the post hype prospect, which he probably is now, like that's always a, a concern, but, uh, I I'm happy to roll the dice uh, on a guy like Adele. Um, killer off went right after, which, uh, you know, my, my good buddy van there took, uh, that's probably another guy that, that I was considering same with Carlson who went a few picks later. Um, but I kind of am okay with leaning more towards the upside there. Uh, despite those two guys having shown more of a major league track record. Look, we were super hyped about Joe Adele and this could be something that doesn't look good early on and you go, okay, I'm done. And that's it. But, yeah, we can't ignore the fact that he was so highly touted. He's going to be turning 23, essentially, the first week of the season. 
Uh, there's so much opportunity here with Joe Adele. I love this. 18th round, take a chance on a guy like that. Seal yeah, and he, and he didn't strike out it. that much in his, uh, in his, you know, I know it was a short sample, but 135, 140 plate appearances, only a 23% strikeout rate. I, I, I really like this. I, I think I, I, Trevor Huth last year made fun of me for saying the phrase, this is the, exactly the kind of pick you should make at a time like this. But this is the kind of pick that you should be making at this point <laughs> in the draft. Yeah. 18th round. I mean, sure, there are going to be some guys that are actually going to be with you through the year. Um, maybe Jesus Lozardo pulls it off. Maybe Carlos Carrasco now with the, with the elbow injury is good. Uh, I'm seeing other guys like maybe, I don't know. I Nope, nope, nope. Seal of approval. <laughs> I nice. can't find too many more that I feel really, really good about. And yeah, take a chance on Adele. Uh, that could work out. Um, so now you don't have any closers. So you decide to chase two of them. And that's Garrett Whitlock and Anthony Bender. Do you think that either one has a great chance of getting or are you just like oh no i don't have any relievers here's some two random ones um this is pretty much what i do with relievers i draft guys that have any sort of shot as the role that have really good strikeout numbers and really good stuff um i think whitlock and bender are both really good pitchers um they'll help me if they don't have the role right away and if there's an injury or, or a new closer uh that's you know cemented in the role or, or a pop-up guy um like you know like like alex reyes was uh this season and at least in the first three or four months like i'll just swap them out like that's kind of how i i attack relievers in pretty much anywhere from like a and any redraft leagues with daily moves or 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 something like that that that's how i'll attack closers i'm never i'm not going to pay up for for any of the the high-end guys Sure, and uh, so so Whitlock could be the guy in uh, Boston. We even saw Barnes get moved. Yeah, he did get extended. He did get extended too, which they might want to try him at least to make it work in, in that role. Right. So that that could work there. If you don't know, Whitlock twenty seven percent K rate, six percent walk rate, this to one ninety six ERA out of the pen in seventy three innings. Did have two saves along the way as well. Those ninety six. Uh, from the left side. So actually, sorry, right side. I'm being dumb here. Uh, and then you have Anthony Bender, who went the very next round for Miami. I mean, I feel like every single year, the Miami closer is the one that gets completely undervalued. And despite being a very, you know, not winning team, they still get some saves, guys. And there might be some value there. We had three saves this year, 29% strike rate, 2.79 ERA in 61 innings for Bender. You have to pick the right one, though. I was all over uh, Bass last year for the Marlins. So you never know. You got to pick the know. right one. But that's the thing, though. <laughs> if it wasn't the right one, you drop them and yep. you try and get the next yep. one. So just kind of keep it like a this is a position for that reliever. Um, I mean, I'm generally in favor of the find the saves along the way. I generally go for one. Yeah. Um, that I feel okay. Okay, this is a guy to do it. Actually, this year in the P- PL Legacy League, and I don't think it killed me. Uh, maybe, I mean, I could have found one more guy in season. I was really bad at it this year. But I drafted Will Smith, and Will Smith just won me weeks alone, mm-hmm. uh, which is very strange. Uh, and I, I consider it a failure of my season. I didn't find someone he, along the way to pair He was going with. pretty late, though, if I remember last year, Will Smith. Yeah, I got very lucky with that yeah. one. But uh, I think that just, that's generally my strategy is you mm-hmm. find one at a point in the draft where it's like, I don't like any of the guys here. Then you take a closer. I, I, I probably should have taken someone with like an actual like okay this is this team's closer right but we're also 
in it's so early. We October. Don't like we don't be. know. We don't know yeah, that yet. Absolutely. Uh, all right. So then after those two, you have three picks left. Uh, James Caprillion in the 21st round. Talk to me about that. Uh, another guy that I think is probably a product of using last year's uh, rankings uh, and and a guy that a guy that's buried. But I was pretty happy. I mean, he was he was really good and made twenty made twenty one starts and put up a you know a, a low four ERA that I, I I think didn't do justice to how well he actually pitched. Um, you know, a, a good K rate um, with not that many walks and someone that I think just sort of exceeded expectations. Like he's old and, and came over as sort of a, you know, uh, maybe a product of like the Yankee fake prospect that they pump up, that they somehow get value for. And I sure, think that, right. that sort of uh, bumped him down in people's mind a little bit, but he was pretty good. Eight wins and I think should have a spot in that uh, athletics rotation and have a pretty good home park to pitch in. Yeah. The story of Caprillion this year was he showed up and was kind of great for a yeah, while. He was really uh, good he, to start. Yeah. He was, he was a Toby for about seven starts and I don't even want to say Toby because it was, you know, production um, going uh, for, for, for those first seven starts, at least six innings, which is just phenomenal, including a seven inning one run 10 K game against Boston. But the second half really didn't show the man that you want. He had a stumble against the Padres. And then it really fell apart by the end. A lot of just mediocre appearances. Really against the Rangers, honestly. The Rangers, for whatever reason, had his number through the season. I would joke about it all the time on the roundup. But Caprillion is really a fastball slider guy. And I, I group him with um, Kyle Quantrill and Tony Disco for this reason. That is Anthony Escafani. Because they're all guys that have a good enough fastball. Um, and when their slider is a good enough complement, uh, they work well. Tony Disco's a little bit more slider first than the other two. But Caprillion on the athletics should be a, 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 a has a chance to be a better than Toby mm-hmm. um, next season. Uh, 24.5% K rate isn't just a pure anomaly. I think it's going to be closer to 22, 23. But when I think of a, a Toby, I think 18% up to 20 or so. And that that's still a solid strikeout rate. There's a chance for a three eight year array and a one twenty whip and and a twenty three percent K rate for Caprillion through a full year across a lot of quality starts. So if you were in a quality start league, Caprillion is a guy that I would be targeting late like this. He is so teetering on the edge of of Toby for me right now. Where I, you know, I personally that's why I'm pushing up Logan Gilbert and Josiah Gray and so on and so over. Tarek Scoobel and Sixo Sanchez and Jesus Lazardo, etc. Joe Ryan. Uh, but if you are in a, especially a deeper league, I would be targeting Caprillion. I don't think he's going to hurt you. I don't think he's going to be a guy that you're going to want to drop next year. He's going to get you a lot of innings. Um, I'm actually even thinking of Tout Wars next year for myself <laughs> within a league that values innings. And Caprillion is a guy that's going to get them mm-hmm. constantly in Oco. Going to hopefully have Matt Chapman still. Maybe they deal him away, helping him out. But uh, there's, yeah, there's a lot of value in that fastball slider that he has. Sometimes the curveball gets in there, too. Sometimes the changeup, and they both do decent things. Uh, but 21st round, I mean, yeah, I don't really see many guys that are, you know, honestly, for your staff, Caprillion might be your number four here. Yeah, um, hey, there's a chance. Considering Wainwright, maybe not so much. McKenzie, then Eliezer, and Alzale. I'm totally cool with you. This is the kind of team that I think actually Caprillion could be a real stable thing for you early in the season. Um, so I'm all for this. I think it's a it's a solid pick. Um, 
22nd round is the complete opposite. I'm not saying that it's bad. I'm <laughs> yeah. just saying it's a, it's just not stable. Yeah. It's a fun guy. Guy who throws triple digits in the minors. Um, that's Hunter Green. Uh, Reds prospect. We were hoping to get a glimpse of him this year. They brought up Reaver San Martin instead. Uh, talk to me about Hunter Green. Um, I went to MLB, MILB leaderboards, uh, filtered on strikeout minus walk rates, and the name that popped up in like the top five was Hunter Green. Um, Ta-da! So there, there you go. I'm like, oh, I know him. He is a really big prospect. He throws, uh, you know, there, there's some videos of him like hitting like 104 miles an hour. So I'm like, all right, this is pretty cool. Maybe he's awesome next year uh, if he doesn't make the rotation or anything or out of the gate. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll move on. Yeah, that I mean, that's really it. I, I am really shocked. A guy when he, that throws that hard typically does not come with a low walk rate. Mm-hmm. Seeing constantly under 10 uh 10 percentage points. What am I saying? 10%. My God. Uh, a 10% <laughs> walk rate is really shocking to me. I'm looking actually at his final starts of the year, and it's one walk, one walk, one walk, he was one good, walk, yeah. two, three, one, one. Much better than I expected. Uh, not the most overwhelming at times of strikeout. And I do wonder how, you know, I don't know about Hunter Green's repertoire that much. I'm just seeing the Fangrass prospect report of slider at 50 over 55 and cutter of over 50, 55. And of course the hard fastball with a change up in there. I'm excited to see him. I, I can't help but wonder. I mean, that's a, that's a busy reds rotation. Um, and it's really a question of two things. One is the CBA going to change things about them pushing rookies up sooner rather than later, because maybe the service time stuff is different and mm-hmm. doesn't matter if you bring them up in April or if you're bringing them up in June, I have no idea. Um, the second part is it. Let's say that Hunter green is not expecting the rotation right away. You're likely dropping him. I'm cool with this in the 22nd round because who cares? That's your second to last pick. And there really isn't anyone else to stash save for Mike Soroka. Um, but you know, Hunter Green, that works. Uh, that I'm happy. I would be happy through the offseason to have that option to say like, what's up with Hunter Green? So I like that pick. Uh, it's just something that you got to plan for. If you're going to take Hunter Green, then you have to be ready to to make a move after your draft and plan around that. Yeah, you have to consider the fact that he might not be a factor for you at. Right. At all, really. Yeah. At the same time, we weren't going to, you know, I wouldn't have suggested drafting Alec Manoa or Shane McClanahan mm-hmm. last year because mm-hmm. they didn't they didn't start with the teams. And, you know, you just got to be quick or at least at a point in April or end of April, if you have an open spot, you don't like anyone, you go, okay, now's when I take these guys. That's why I got Alec Manoa in my PL Legacy League. I didn't see anyone at the beginning of May that was anywhere like, oh, I need to get that guy. Mm-hmm. So I said, fine, I have an open spot. I'll just take Alec no. Manoa. He yep. came up within the next week. I got mm-hmm. super lucky, but you have to give yourself those opportunities. Um, the last one here I'm really upset about because I thought he was off the board. Uh, <laughs> and we were both playing chicken here. Um, not only was starting pitching, we both took, of course, the, the, the weight on pitching approach. But on catchers, too, I saw everybody had their catchers and you didn't. And I remember thinking, okay, 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 where's Mitch Garver? He's Oh, and I saw Mike Zunino go. And for whatever reason, I was out and about in Arizona and thinking that that was Mitch Garver that I had been saving. I was like, oh, I didn't realize he already went. So I took Eric Haas. And then you take Mitch Garver. <laughs> and I was I was absolutely appalled. By the way, this is obviously a seal of approval. I, I, was, I was, remember being so excited that a guy with – you know, 13 home runs in only 68 games this year. 
uh, with a Woba 372 was available this late. But I, I kind of want to hear your thoughts and what you see for the future with Mitch Garver. Yeah, this is just the type of catcher that I target. I, I draft catchers late and like, what's to stop it? Like, you know, he was pretty close to his his 2019 pace where he was, you know, uh, a top tier catcher uh, in just 93 games. I guess that that's another concern probably that 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 puts a bit of a floor on or ceiling on on Garver just because he's he hasn't played uh that many games but sure I mean other than Perez like what a lot of games for catchers 120 so uh, it, it's not that far off of uh, a, a full season for catcher and if he pops you 31 home runs like he did in 2019 you're not going to care right. um one, so. one one strategy I am seeing with people this year, which is actually very interesting, uh, is a lot of NL catchers. So like Wilson Contreras, Buster Posey, JT Realm, Uto, those guys are getting pushed up, I think, because the anticipation of there being a DH means that those guys are not going to just get the mm-hmm. normal 110 or so. They're going to get close to 140 yep. as they'll get time as the DH. Well, Mitch Garver, well, you've already had a DH, buddy. Yep. And uh, you've only gone over 100 games once, and that was 2018. It's been 93. It was 23 only in the in the short and 60 game season, and then 68 uh, this past year, which is well, of course, under what you want. Now, the last couple guys that went, uh, Adley Rutschman and Eric Haas, again, and Mike Zunino, were all AL. Dalton Varsho is someone to consider with that, maybe as a later one too. Yeah, I certainly wasn't doing it much. I had no idea what catchers are. So. Yeah. Yeah, and Varsho might play outfield too, so that that's right. intriguing. Same with Haas. Same there. with Haas. So we'll see. We'll see how that works out. But Mitch Garver seal of approval because yeah, that's the clear catcher. I think at this point you should be taking. And if there's something else that appears, great. It's the last one off the board. Who cares? So there we go. There's your 23 round. See if we made it. It only took us, I don't know, about an hour and a half or so, and uh, which is actually you know we normally go a little bit long. We are going to go a little bit long on this podcast too. Whew. So close. Almost missed it. I missed it in Arizona, and I was so upset. Um, and I, I want to hear on a scale of 1 to 23, how do you feel about this team? Um, Probably like a, a 16. Okay. Um, I wish I balanced my risk a little bit better um, and probably could have bumped up pitching a round or two. I think I really – like the game of chicken with you. And like, I can't take a picture before Nick. Like I just wasn't going to let it happen. <laughs> I really like, and that probably was, was to a fault that, yeah, don't do that. Don't, don't play arbitrary games uh, when you're drafting. Um, but overall, like this is kind of the, the strategy that, that I take. Like I, I, I like, like, you know, in an ideal world, you know, in 2023 mock drafts, like, Acuna judge and Buxton are first round players, you know, like that's the talent that I think that they have there. Obviously that is, uh, you know, a 99 percentile outcome for my team, but those are the type of players that I like to take risk on. Like, you know, uh, I think I'm going to have a lot of shares of Buxton if his ADP is probably a little bit lower than where I took him, which I think it probably will be. Um, so I'll, I'll be happy to do that and, and, and pay that cost. <laughs> I'll um, be thinking about Buxton all year because of you now, Steve. Yeah. Yeah. All right, cool. I'm the Buxton guy. Uh, so you'll either be thinking about me when he's having an awesome year or, or I'll just never be on your mind and, you know, be in the IL of your mind along with Buxton. His name is the opposite of how it feels. It is not relaxing like a bed and breakfast. <laughs> 
it is it is very tense and confusing and i i, I hope it works out but yeah 16 out of 23 sounds about right i probably will ding you slightly more just for the the innate risk with on both the hitting and pitching mm-hmm. side yes but i but still i mean this could be an amazing team i have no idea it could be i, I never know what i'm talking about on this there are famous mock drafts where my, the one that i remember the most is the one i did with shelly two times two years ago from now where she took uh, Sandy Alcantara relatively high, and I said, I just don't see how what the path is. <laughs> then he throws his first game of 2020, increasing his velocity and throwing an amazing changeup, and I go, oh, never mind. I absolutely <laughs> love Sandy Alcantara. <laughs> Shelly, how could I ever be wrong? Then talk about it all through last offseason. Amazing. Um, amazing. So what do I know? It's absolutely nothing. And uh, good luck to you. I hope this Thank team you. Thank you. Looks, looks amazing. Yeah, we but, have to... Uh, I don't know. We have to figure out a way to like uh, review come back and yeah, like uh, see who was like the most correct or most wrong. Uh, uh, oh, that's interesting. We should we should do something. We should have done it for this year, maybe. Like run it, it through. Like, just like run it through like a you know a standard five by five road. Right. Well, that's the thing something. though. We're not drafting for that basketball. True. 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 Um, but we can we can certainly do at the end of next year do a mock draft and review thing. We should we can still do it for last year's honestly. Yeah. Um, that we might, you know, we'll see. Check it out on the yeah. site maybe in the, yeah. the coming weeks. Well, that's going to do it for today. Uh, Steve, Steve, I remind everybody what you do and where they can find you. Uh, you could find me on Twitter at Stav8818, S-T-A-V-8818. And uh, you could listen to me with my co-host, Bram Burnett, on Wins Above Fantasy on the Pictureless Podcast Network. Beautiful. Uh, and everybody listening, of course, we are not going silent through this offseason. Support Pitchlist if you can. Everything we raise goes back into the site. I do not take a salary. I just pour it back into Pitchlist because, oh man, if you saw what PL7 is, you would do the same thing. So uh, we look forward to that, of course, launching in February. But go ahead, go to pitchlist.com slash plus. We are adding lots of things to PL plus too that will not cost another penny more. So get it in while you can. Uh, help us out and that is going to do it for today's edition of the on the corner podcast on behalf of steve Jaswelli, my name is nick pollock and i'll talk to you guys next week